this is Kathy Krueger. And this is Jonah Trebowasser. Welcome to another edition of Radio Rotary, sponsored by local Rotarians, your friends dedicated to service. Each week we chat with your neighbors about great things happening in your community and around the world. People sharing ways to improve your life. And today we're talking with local author Tony Musso about his new book, Mothball Fleet on the Hudson. Welcome back, Tony. <laughs> Thank you. It's good to be back. Tony, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show, and uh, you're one of uh, Hudson Valley's most prolific authors and uh, a great travel writer. And before we talk about the mothball fleet on the Hudson Valley, you're probably known best for the great series of books you've done called Hidden Treasures of the Hudson Valley. Tell us first about that series of three books. What's that all about? Well, well, what I do is uh, I try to identify sites around the area um, that aren't, you know, as well known as the FDR home, the Vanderbilt Mansion, right. and further south in Westchester, Phillipsburg Manor. Those are mainstream tourist sites. But uh, I've found through the years, uh, actually writing my column for Gannett Newspapers, uh, the, the weekly column, I, I find all these sites that aren't as well known. And they're run by historical societies, private preservation groups and everything. And they have every bit of the history that the larger sites have, uh, not putting the larger sites down, of course. They're right. very popular. But, uh, you know, uh, they give great tours. Uh, for instance, the uh, Van Wyck uh, Homestead down right. in Fishkill, right at the intersection of Route 9 and uh, Route 80, Interstate 84, is a wonderful site. I mean, there was a trial of a Continental Army spy, Enoch Crosby, uh, at that site. Uh, there's so much history in there, and it's like a museum inside. And a lot of the sites are by donation, or they might charge 2 or $3 to get in, but you get a really nice tour. And uh, I try to couple these sites together in geographic areas. So if you're driving up to Saugaties, you don't just see one site. You could see two or three and make a whole day trip out of it. Kind now, of like Tony, the wine trail, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> Tony, some of the bigger sites have little sites attached to them that people don't know about. Like, for example, everyone knows about the FDR Home and Library in Hyde Park, but mm-hmm. they may not know about Valkill and right. they may not know about Top mm-hmm. Cottage. What are those two all about? Yeah, actually, Top Cottage is in my first volume of Hidden Treasures of the Hudson Valley, and that is only the second house that was built by a sitting president. Mm. And it's the first house in the country actually designed by a handicapped person. Right. Uh, Top Cottage was supposed to be Franklin Roosevelt's retirement home when he left the presidency. Of course, unfortunately, he never got that uh, opportunity. Uh, uh, But he built the entire house with the wide door frames. There's no saddles in the doors. It's very easy to get in and out of the house. And it actually comes under the FDR Presidential Library now. They reacquired after years of it being a residence for a local couple. And of course, Tony, the wide door frames and the wide uh, corridors are because FDR had to use a wheelchair to get around. A lot of people at that time didn't know that uh, right. because he was afflicted well, with yeah, polio. Polio, yeah. Yeah, he was very guarded with the photos that were taken. And when you see him standing in any photos, usually his son, John Roosevelt, the youngest of the children, is holding his arm. But they positioned it really nice because he didn't want people to uh, see a wheelchair. Right. And uh, Valkyl, that had to do yes. with Mrs. Roosevelt. Yes. Eleanor. In fact, yeah. I just I just booked a uh, bus trip yesterday for a group. I believe they're coming up from Maryland, and that's one of the stops they want to make at the Valkill. Uh, actually, Valkill Industries, uh, FDR purchased that property, I believe it was back in the late 20s, 
And Eleanor partnered with three other women, and they established Valkyl Industries, and they made fine furniture and everything, which were really prized possessions to find one today. They're very expensive. And uh, then after FDR passed away in April of 1945, Eleanor made that her residence, her full-time residence, and she was there until 1962 when she passed. Now, Tony, uh, these books, The Hidden Treasures of the Hudson Valley, have three volumes. Uh, where can people pick them up? And uh, do you have a website that talks more about the books I and about your bus, bus tours? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, every, all the information is an online store on the website. Uh, all my uh, dates for future presentations and uh, bus tours and speaking engagements is on the website. And it's very simple. It's Muso Books, all one word. M-U-S-S-O. Perfect. B-O-O-K-S. Spell that again, Tony, would you please? Give it to us one more time. Muso.com. Right. M-U-S-S-O. M-U-S-S-O-B-O-O-K-S.com. So, Tony Muso, what got you interested in local history? Well, I've always been interested in history, even as a kid growing up in Brooklyn. <laughs> I've been up here. I've been up here for 39 years. But, uh, you know, even when I was a kid, when I first got my car, I remember the first trip I took was uh, in the car was to go see the house that George Gershwin was born in, oh. because mm-hmm. he was born in Brooklyn. And and I remember uh, as a 16 year old, I was furious because there wasn't even a plaque on the house that said George Gershwin and. I was walking around. I was really upset about it. And one of the neighbors came and said, uh, what, what's going on? And I went in. That was my first lecture. And the rest is history. And now I'm giving 75 and 80 lectures a year and wow. uh, oh doing gosh. a lot of hidden treasures at Hudson Valley bus trips. I didn't uh, know you did uh, the bus first trips. One. Yeah. Yeah, what happened was uh, I started coupling. What we normally do is I, I lay a route and I point out sites on the way. One of the purposes of the bus trip is to show these sites so that you come back with your family and friends later. Mm-hmm. And then we get off the bus actually for two sites and we get off for lunch. And it's a mm-hmm. full day. It goes from nine o'clock in the morning till five o'clock at night. Wow. I pick some sites out of my Hidden Treasures book. And and I go through all different regions. You know, we go from Westchester and Rockland up to Green and Columbia counties. So uh, it's it's a lot of fun, and the people usually enjoy it. I do it for a lot of senior centers, and mm-hmm. uh, I have one coming up now for the Osning Senior Center. Uh, ah, okay. And uh, we'll be doing that in August, actually. Well, you know, so, uh, yeah, they're a lot of fun. We've all been cooped up for two years, so people yes. want to get out. They want to see the sites, and they, they couldn't do better than to have a great historian like Tony Musso uh, guide them, especially uh, if they've got copies of Hidden he- Treasures of Hudson Valley available at musobooks.com. And uh, I assume that if everyone on the bus has the copy of the book, you'll autograph it, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, you know, uh, we uh, we uh, actually I actually offer the books during lunch. That's the oh, only right. time I oh, put them out. Okay. We go to a restaurant. I'll put them on the table and everything. And the reason I uh, the re- the way I wrote the book is after each chapter, I share the history of the site. I try to motivate day trips because I end each chapter with a physical address or exact driving directions for those off the beaten path. And in fact, at one of my lectures, I had a, a couple come up to me and they said, you know, we had a wedding up in Saugerties recently 
And I guess the wedding itself and the reception had about a three and a half hour block in between. And so they reached in. They said, we always have your books on the back seat of the car. And they oh, found fantastic. the site and saw goodies. They visited it, and then they went to the wedding reception. That's oh, good. That's nice. So, yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to find that out more. Nice to hear. We're going to find out more about uh, local history and the hidden treasures of the Hudson Valley, and also the mothball fleet on the Hudson from author Tony Musso. Right after Kathy Kruger tells us who keeps us from being history by sponsoring Radio Rotary this week. Well, Jonah, Radio Rotary is sponsored by Salisbury Bank, the Third Eye Associates, and by the Rotary Clubs of Brewster, Carmel, Clarkstown, Goshen, Highland, Kingston, Liberty, Millbrook, Manuet, Greater Newburgh, and New City, New York. We'll be back with more Radio Rotary right after these important messages, so stay tuned. Don't let mental health stigma keep you from living your best life. This is Andrew O'Grady from MHA of Dutchess County, and there is help. Did you know that 25% of the population deal with anxiety or depression? That's a lot of people. You're not alone. If you have the flu, you would call your doctor. Let's start doing the same when it comes to your mental health. It's time to get on the path to mental wellness. Contact Mental Health America of Dutchess County at 845-473-2500. Let us help you live your best life. Hi, this is Tony Marmo from Norman Staffing, and we've been bringing together employers and job seekers since 1980. If you're an employer and have job vacancies, let Norman Staffing help fill them with permanent or temporary workers. We screen, interview, and recommend the best candidates for your company. We make the employment process easier and faster for you. Please call Norman Staffing for your employment needs at 338-9111, or normanstaffing.com. You're listening to 92.9 and 96.5 WBPM. And there's more of this week's Radio Rotary Show coming up. Salisbury Bank is your friendly hometown bank with 14 branches throughout the tri-state area. Salisbury Bank offers personal and business banking, mortgages, and commercial loans. Salisbury Bank is your local community bank with local decision-making and high service. Your local bank for all of your local needs. Salisbury Bank and Trust Company, member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Salisbury Bank, because where you bank matters. Subscribe to the Radio Rotary Podcast and never miss an episode. We are on every popular podcast platform, including iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Subscribe to the Radio Rotary Podcast today. Possibilities are all around us. Everywhere we look, we see opportunity in unexpected places. And when we share our knowledge, vision, and connections We turn great ideas into action in communities all around the world that we call home. Like transforming an old bus to feed hungry children or providing life-saving equipment to those who need it most. From fighting disease to rebuilding schools, together, We can make real change happen. We're Rotary. We are people of action. Get involved today at rotary.org slash action. Welcome back to Radio Rotary. This is Jonah Tree Boss and my usual co-host, Sarah O'Connell Clater, is away this week. But we have Kathy Kruger, our great producer on the line. And Kathy's gotten us a great guest for this week. Kathy, introduce our guest again. 
We have um, our guest who's been on our show before, right. uh, Tony Musso, and he's going to talk to us about his new book, Mothball Fleet on the Hudson Valley. However, we've been talking a little bit about the other book he's written, too, The Hidden Treasures of um, the Hudson Valley. And I mean, he's just amazing. And <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you a secret. I asked him if uh, he uh, was a historian when he went to uh, college to study, and he told us he was not and gave us a really cute story about what he did study but he's been writing books ever since so all right so tony tony fess up what did you what did you major in in college i have two accounting degrees Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but i will say this every every class that i had to take you know for an elective just to get the credits i Mm -hmm. took history classes Ah, there you um, go and I remember a professor coming to me one year and saying, Tony, you aced all the tests, so you're excluded from the final exam. And I was really furious. I said, no, no, I want to take the final exam because I knew I was going to do good in those tests. Yeah. yeah and yeah, yeah. Uh, so I aced that test, too. So it was wonderful. It was well, the history of the America of America up to the Civil War. Wow. Well, uh, uh, well, accountancy's loss is history uh, and uh, entertainment's gain because not only is uh, Tony a very respected author uh, in local history with his series of books, Hidden Treasures of the Hudson Valley, and his new book, Mothball Fleet on the Hudson, but he uh, is a uh, writer for the uh, Poughkeepsie Journal and other Gannett newspapers, and he takes tours around with people on buses showing out these great historical sites. Uh, Tony, what's your uh, column on the, on the Poughkeepsie Journal all about? Well, uh, that started uh, right around the same time I retired from my first career. It started around 2008. I had been with the Poughkeepsie Journal for 10 years at the time, and I got a phone call, and they said, would you like to write this Dateline column? And I said, well, tell me a little bit about it. And it was kind of identifying different places for people, off-the-beat places for people to visit in the area. And so I kind of elevated that to focus on, like I said, these historic homes that are pretty forgotten. You know, people, some of them on the main drag and people pass them all day long and don't know the history that went on in the building. And uh, it seems to have become a very popular column. I mean, I'm with uh, I'm with Gannett now for uh, going on 24 years. Oh my wow. gosh! I'm, I'm sort of the uh, longest running writer, and and my gray hair shows it. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the advantages of radio, Tony. They can't see your gray that's hair right. or my lack of hair. So, Tony, exactly. tell us about tell us about your new book, Mothball yes. Fleet on the Hudson. What's that all about? Well, from uh, you know. Well, you remember the era of World War II and Rosie the Riveter. Everybody remembers Rosie oh, the Riveter. Oh, we and that sure famous know Rosie. poster of the woman with her muscle up. Well, uh, they were banging out ships and aircraft at a very, very fast rate uh, during the war because the Navy needed to bolster their fleet. What had happened was they had ships from World War One in reserve fleets. The official name of the Mothball Fleet is called the um, National Reserve Defense Reserve Fleet. Wow. Uh, but most people refer to the Mothball Fleet because they were just anchored in the river, in the Hudson River, doing nothing. For... So anyway, uh, they bolstered the fleet to such a point that the Navy, at the end of the war, found themselves with the largest fleet in the world. They had 7,000 various class ships. Now, what do you do with 7,000 ships? We're in peacetime. And so they established eight sites around the country, one being at Jones Point on the Hudson River, which is just south of the Bam Mountain Bridge. Right. And uh, from 1946 through 1971, 
there were up to 189 ships just anchored there uh, and being preserved the whole time they were there because many of them were used for Korea and Vietnam. Uh, one was used for the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. So, I mean, they did come and go through the years. So they didn't just let them and, sit uh, there and rust. That's what the fleet is all about. Yeah, they didn't just sit there and let them rust. They, they maintained them. Well, that's what happened in World War One because when yeah. World War Two broke out, the Navy turned around and they, they were confident they were going to be able to get the ships out in fast order. And they found them rusted, deteriorated. There were a lot oh, of parts uh-huh. missing off of them. Right. And so they made a whole strict set of rules for this World War II fleet because these, these were millions of dollars worth of ships. Yes. And to let them just rust away was ridiculous. That's you know, a sin. They, they yeah. really did a good job. You mentioned how many ships were being produced during World War II. At one point, I remember seeing something on the History Channel. They were launching a ship a day from the various dockyards, like Brooklyn Navy Yard and other well, places like that. Yeah, they had eight. Uh, FDR had put three, he approved $350 million to get a ship uh, building uh, initiative on the way when they found out that the World War I ships were useless. And they built eight shipyards all around the country Olympia, Washington. They had them in California, they mm. had them in Kearney, New Jersey, and everywhere. And uh, one of the ships, the Teal, the SS Teal, uh, the first ship that they built that we call Liberty ships right. took 244 days to build that ship. And it's understandable. Those are huge, huge yeah, ships, they are. transport carries. Well, the Joseph N. Teal, they had got so proficient at it. It was built in 10 days, 11 hours and wow. 55 minutes. Oh Unbelievable. Wow. Ship. Well, that's because so you had women doing was, it. Rosie the River, right? Oh, I knew that coming, Jonah. <laughs> so, in your book, in your book, the Mothball Fleet uh, on the Hudson, which is available at Musso Books, M U S S O Books dot com, do you have pictures right. and histories of these various? Um, oh, I have a ships? lot of a lot of pictures. Yeah, I, I went. To, it took me a couple of year project. I actually wrote it during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Because I had gathered all my research material, and then in March of 2020, as you know, the pandemic hit. Right. And I kind of looked across my desk in my office at the house, and I saw all the folders built up, and I said, well, I got a pandemic project. <laughs> so during two years, I was also looking at public domain photos from World War II, um, and I had some very nice uh, uh, groups, preservation groups, and even families of some of the sailors that were on these ships that I was able to tracked down all across the country that actually contributed photos, personal photos. Uh, You know, uh, there was one of the um, SS um, Washington. um, No, I'm sorry. I gave you the wrong name. Um, Trying to get the name of the thing. But they turned they turned the ship into uh, after the war. They turned it into a floating barn, actually. No kidding. And we're going to. We're and gonna one find of out. the people that was on Go ahead, Tony. One of please. the people that was on that ship, the family donated the pictures. It was called the SS Woodstock Victory Ship. Okay. Well, we're going to find uh, out more about these they, great mothball fleet of the Hudson Valley uh, uh, ships from uh, historian Tony Musso right after these messages. So stay tuned. Hi, this is Beth Jones of Third Eye Associates Limited, providing life planning, financial transition planning, and wealth management strategies to help you integrate your life and your money. We are a fee-only registered investment advisory firm with offices in New York City, Washington, D.C., and Red Hook, New York. Contact us to see how you can put Third Eye to work for you. ThirdEyeAssociates.com or call us at 845-752-2216. 
Hi, I'm Krista Hines, Executive Director of Hudson River Housing, a local nonprofit dedicated to helping communities in the Mid-Hudson Valley thrive. We believe that everyone deserves the opportunity to live in safe and affordable housing. No matter what your housing concern may be, you can count on us for assistance. Maybe you're looking to buy your first home and don't know where to start, or possibly seeking an affordable apartment to rent for you and your family. Or perhaps you found yourself in need of safe and supportive shelter with a compassionate team committed to helping you overcome the challenges of homelessness. We're here to help every step of the way. Please visit us online at HudsonRiverHousing.org or call us today at 845-454-5176. Again, that number, 845-454-5176. You're listening to 92.9 and 96.5 WBPM. And there's more of this week's Radio Rotary Show coming up. Hi, I'm Meg Mullins from the Mark Foundation, supporting the Mid-Hudson Addiction Recovery Community. Our mission is prevention of and recovery from substance misuse. Among our projects, we fund scholarships for therapists, transitions from community housing, and the Overdose Awareness Memorial located on the Dutchess County Rail Trail. Visit our website at Mark foundation.org to learn more or to make a donation. Hi, this is Kathy Kruger, producer of Radio Rotary. If you are listening now, so are your customers. You can advertise on Radio Rotary for as little as $25 per week. Call me, Kathy Kruger, at 845-702-4410 for full details or email me at info at radiorotary.org. That's info at radiorotary.org. Summer is such a great time of year here in the Hudson Valley, and it's even better when you can take your dog out with you. But you need to remember this. When it's hot for you, it's painful for your pets, especially dogs. If you're running errands and plan to leave your dog in your car for any period of time, please consider these things. On what you think is a cool, sunny 70-degree day, the temperature of your sealed-up car can rise rapidly to 85 or even 90 degrees in just 10 minutes. And on a 95-degree day, the interior of your car could be at least 140 degrees. Leaving your dog in your car with a bowl of water doesn't make it any better for them. Look, you wouldn't want to be in there. The first thing you're going to do when you get back in the car is blast the AC because it's too hot. So why trap your dog in your car? The safest place for your dog during summer months is at home. Most of all, it's illegal to leave an animal in a hot car in New York State. So do the right thing and be a responsible pet owner. Welcome back to Radio Rotary. This is Jonah Trebowasser and with me today is Kathy Kruger, our great producer. And we have even terrific, more even more terrific than Kathy. We have a terrific guest. Oh, we sure do. Who Kathy's going to introduce. Kathy? We have Tony Musso, and he is a, I'm going to say, very famous author here in the Hudson Valley, but he's going to talk about his new book, Mothball Fleet on the Hudson Valley. Tony, welcome back. Delighted to have you. Thank you. So tell us a little bit more about the Mothball Fleet on the Hudson. Well, I just found it interesting that a lot of these ships, you know, after the World War II, and and naturally they were used for Korea, they were used for Vietnam, like I said earlier, Uh, but some of them had a lot of different uh, uses. For instance, the SS Knox, that was right here in the Hudson River, Um, it was used in Korea, and then in 61, it was converted to a range tracking ship working for NASA. And that ship was most famous for its flight tracking during the groundbreaking Apollo 11 moon landing. So it's kind of neat to realize that these ships were right in the Hudson River here, you know? Um, We had ships that were converted back into uh, passenger liners. We had ships, one ship became um, 
once it became a dormitory for a, uh, a college down in Hoboken, New Jersey. And Is that right? Students, yeah, and the stu- well, the thing was, it became, after World War II, they converted it to a passenger ship. Mm. And then uh, when that ran its course, it was going from the United States to the Mediterranean. And uh, when that ran its course, the uh, college down in Hoboken purchased it and used it for a dormitory. And they docked it at a dock that the college owned down in Hoboken. And really interesting how these ships went all different ways, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, One ship that was pretty famous that was in the Hudson River was a uh, 21,000-ton transport ship. It was built in 1905 as a German passenger liner, mm-hmm. and it was making trips from Europe to the United States. And unfortunately for the for the the, the owners, it got caught in Boston when World War One broke out. So the United States confiscated the ship, used it as a tra- uh, troop transporter, and after World War One, we kept the ship, made it back into a passenger ship again. And once again, during World War II, it transported troops overseas. So that was a German-built uh, ship from 1905, and it served the United States in both wars. Wow. So a lot of great history. A lot of great history. In, so, t- in, uh, t- Tony, are any of these ships still in existence? Are they still floating? Still, still, they are, are still, still in the floating. There are still floating. There, there are two that I know of. That One is down in um, the inner harbor of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And that is a museum ship, a preservation group uh, redid the whole ship and they open it up now. And you can go down to the Inner Harbor in Baltimore anytime and uh, board the ship and wow. tour it. And there's another one, uh, same thing, a preservation group has it down in Tampa, Florida as a museum ship. Mm-hmm. So those are, the, those are the two that I know are from the Hudson River fleet that are still public can get on them. Tony, when you, you were know, doing... Say the, yeah. When you were doing research for this book, how did you even know where to start with the with with ships that you wanted to get the history of? Well, it just snowballed, to tell you the truth. When I started, I started by going down to um, the new city library has a, a Rockland oh. County history room. OK. And I started down there. And then I have some sites on my own computer I use for a lot of research where I pick up all the old vintage newspapers and so I, I spent nights and I mean months going through vintage newspapers, uh, you know, seeing as the ship like uh, 1971, July 8th was the last two ships left the Hudson That's River a, and the oh. fleet was disbanded. Well, there were tons of articles about that in, you know, many different newspapers. So I use newspapers. I use records down at the local history rooms. There's also a little museum. The Palisades Interstate Commission uh, Historical Society has a little museum in Tompkins Cove, mm. which is just south of Jones Point. And they were very active during the the fleet's existence down there. And they had uh, they were very good with me. They shared a lot of information. But I contacted a lot of different historical societies. Uh, for instance, the fleet was located on the west side of the river right across from Peekskill. Right. So I got a lot of information from the Croton uh, Historical Society. A lot of those had a lot of information. And then I contacted uh, the Navy Archives, United States Navy Archives. I was on the phone constantly with Washington and the Maritime Administration Archives. uh, They provided me with a lot of uh, great information. They sent me links that I could go into all the historical archives. 
So it, it was a lot of research. Yeah. Really a lot of research. How many ships did would you say we had in the Hudson Valley at the time? Uh, at the highest point from 1946 to 1971, the highest point was 1965. We had 189 ships. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. So, Tony Musso. And don't forget, too. <clears throat> Go ahead, yeah. Tony. No, they served other purposes, too. Right. For instance, in 1948, the country had a record wheat crop. And the Department of Agriculture uh, approached the Maritime Administration, who was in charge of all the fleets, and said, look, we'd like to store wheat on some of the ships because they're just sitting there anchored right. anyway. Yeah. And the Department of Agriculture, uh, uh, you know, presented their case. The Maritime Administration approved the plan in 1949, and the Hudson River was selected as an experimental site. So they special ventilation systems, not on all the ships, but on the ships that were going to carry the wheat. Mm -hmm. And it absolutely was a total success because in 1961, when we started selling that wheat to foreign countries, not a single bushel was ruined, was spoiled. In the minute we have left, give everybody your website in case they want to get a, a copy for themselves of your new book, Mothball Fleet of the Hudson or Hidden Treasures of the Hudson Valley. Or they want to book one of your great bus tours. Give us your contact information one more time. Okay. It's a very simple, uh, very simple website, musobooks.com. M-U-S-S-O-B-O-O-K-S, all one word, dot com. Tony Musso, thank you so much for keeping history alive here in the Hudson Valley. And thanks for joining us today on Radio Rotary. Oh, thanks for having me again. Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Our pleasure. pleasure. And uh, Kathy, who gives us the pleasure of sponsoring Radio Rotary this week? We are sponsored by Mental Health America of Dutchess County, the Mark Foundation, Norman Staffing, Hudson River Housing, and by the Rotary Clubs of New Paltz, Patterson, Philmont, Pleasant Valley, Poughkeepsie, Arlington, Ramapo Valley, Red Hook, Rhinebeck, Southern Ulster, Suffern, Wallkill East, Wappinger Falls, and Warwick Valley, New York. For the entire Radio Rotary team, my co-host Sarah O'Connell Clayton will be back with us soon. Our producer, Kathy Kruger, and our Production director Randy Turner. This is Jonah Trebowasa thanking you for tuning in and inviting you to join us again next week at this very same time for another edition of Radio Rotary. And don't forget our website, radiorotarynow.org.